bitch. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Bitch, the Chicago. Hello everyone, what is up? It is me, Ewan, and welcome to a new episode of the We Love Dad Movies podcast. We're bringing the Western vibes back to your ears yet again this week after a nice little trip with Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood for Paint Your Wagon. Um, we're now jumping into yet another Lee Marvin Western from the 60s, but this one is a little bit more conventional, but in my view, also really underappreciated. I came across this movie for the first time last year, um, it's Richard Brooks's The Professionals, and it shot up instantly into my all-timer bracket. Um, and also, to talk about The Professionals this week, we kind of got a fun little trifecta going on yet again, because not only is Dan Grima here, say hi, Dan. Hello. <laughs> We've also got Mike Scott of the Action for Everyone podcast. Hi, guys. <laughs> because we wanted to do like a a Western chat. I feel like... Me and Dan had our inaugural Western episode close to the beginning of the year where we were kind of drafting up your plans for how you were going to tackle the genre. I'm not sure um, when it was. It was it was a while ago now. Um, and then we were talking West. I think I think we were just talking about for a few dollars more on Twitter or something. And then, Mike, you were like, yeah, let's do a Western chat. And it was broad, and then I was like, you know what, I really want to rewatch The Professionals again. It's one that Dan hasn't seen, and fortunately for you, Mike, it was one that you hadn't seen in a while, so it kind of made sense, and Yeah, to be honest <laughs> with you, I li- I was watching it, and I'm like actually doubting whether I have even seen it. I, I might oh, be damn. having some Mandela effect, because I remembered nothing about it. So it was like watching it again for the first time, so it was, yeah, it was great for me. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I think it, I think it's a wonderful movie. Um, did you want to go and quickly reintroduce yourself to everyone? I mean, I'm, I'm sure that everyone will know who you are, but there may be a few listeners who somehow haven't heard of the Action for Everyone podcast yeah. after their glowing cameo appearance on the Patrick Williams show. <laughs> yeah, I I uh, I couldn't I couldn't believe that. That was that was crazy to me. Um, but uh, yeah, I I am the host of a uh, an action focused podcast called Action for Everyone. Uh, it's co hosted by film journalist and writer Vice Victus and filmmaker Liam O'Donnell, the director and writer of the Skylines movies, and um, we just talk action movies. It started as a chance for us to talk about and highlight direct to video movies, indie action movies, stuff like that. It has sort of expanded in ways that we did not anticipate or expect to uh, something that I still have to pinch myself where we have action people come on all the time. Uh, just last week, we had the great Larnell Stovall of of Undisputed 3 fame and, and uh, the Continental fame come on and literally give us a three hour sermon on action philosophy. It was like being taken to church. It was amazing. And then just this week as we're recording, I literally just posted it 10 minutes before we jumped on here to record this. Uh, we had the great Jesse V. Johnson, director of Avengement and Accident Man and Triple Threat and the upcoming Boudicca on. And uh, that was, you guys, we talked about it on the episode. You won't see it, but it was actually funny. He was calling us from Rome. He's on set and he was outside and it. You guys are probably familiar with the phrase magic hour, but if people aren't, it's it's for in filmmaking, it's this time, this twilight time where everything just looks beautiful. And he literally called us at magic hour on his phone. And then as it got dark, 
he had to leave. So we had like just this magic hour, 45 minute conversation with Jesse B. Johnson. And it was, it was insane. It was absolutely unreal, but uh, yeah. So that's what we do. You can find us at link tree slash a 4 E podcast. We're on every major streaming service. Uh, so check us out. I'm imagining the Mike Scott that, that I know has uh, a lot of excitability, it's excitability about the fact that he just got one step closer to Olga Kurienko as well. <laughs> <clears throat> there was there was uh, ample discussion about Olga Kurilenko on the, on the show. Of course, um, you got yes, yes, to the yes, I, I'm one step closer. It, frankly, if we ever get if we ever get old, I've had Scott on. I've had my my unironic favorite actor Scott Adkins on yeah. the show several times, and Olga Kurilenko is unironically my favorite actress. And so, if we ever get her on, I might just have to hang it up. I might just be like, "This is as good as it ever gets." It's, so long, it's, folks. It's going nowhere to go but down now. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's that's the peak. I mean, I'd I'd be lying if I didn't repeatedly tell people that I'm two degrees from Scott Adkins. So <laughs> do it, do it. I have I, how look. So again, not to talk too much about my own show, but a few weeks ago we had Chancellor Haynes on, good friend of ours, good friend of the show, who is Taylor Swift's editor. He edits all her music videos. And so we're like, we are like two degrees of separation from yeah, Taylor yeah. Swift. Like, like it's so funny because everybody gets, we have Jesse and Larnell and Daniel Bernhardt on and everybody's so excited, you know, and it's great. I love those guys, but we were like starstruck having a dude who like sits next to Taylor Swift, who like was the first person she faked at the video music yeah. awards. Like he, it's I, unreal. <laughs> a huge like shout out to Chancellor who, I've spoke to quite a few times who is the nicest man in the world. <laughs> he is, yeah. he is it's an unreal. absolute prince of a human. Unreal. Yeah. I mean, this is a really cool full circle moment, I guess, because Dan, you're the one who introduced me to the world of like action Twitter and action for everyone, which is like kind of like my, my, my prism that I went into. So yeah, this is, this, this is just really pleasant because I feel <laughs> yeah, like, well, kind yeah. Of- Mike was my gateway. I, I, I think I uh, I remember the first two people I followed out of this kind of group were, were yourself and uh, uh, Brandon Streisnig. Um and then this just led me to like a whole bunch of different people that that we ended up interacting with. And now, obviously, we've, you've got this great Discord server where everyone is, and and uh, it, it's it, it very much. I mean, it's for me. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of to to take a, a phrase out of your book. I'm gonna blow smoke up your ass for a second. Um. Very much for me, like I had a time during the pandemic, especially where, and I'm not going to go like deep, I don't want to sound like I'm going deeper than I am. I sort of very much had a bit of a crisis in terms of like trust in people because there were so many like just shitty people coming out of the woodwork in terms of like vaccines and politically and all this, you know, all these debates that are going on that we don't need to get into now. And I, during that time at the kind of end of 2021, start of 2022, just found this through yourself and Brandon just found this great community that not only added a lot of positivity into my life from all the people that I've, that I've met and got to speak to, but uh, I've learned more about movies in a year and a half than I have in the entire 29 years that I previously had. So I'll always be very grateful about that too. Well, this is a weird full circle because, you know, before I even started Adkins Undisputed, I and I mentioned this the last time I was on. I used to watch Ewan on What Culture. So like I've known Ewan like one way 
for like five years. And so then yeah, when I yeah. met you, Dan, and then you told me, you're like, oh, I got my friend, my friend runs this podcast called We Love Dad Movies. I think it would be great if you went on it. And I checked it out. I'm like, wait, you and your friend? What the fuck? And so that was, like- That was the crazy thing, yeah. You, you and I grew up together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it is this weird full, but that's what I love about our community is there are these little like threads and, and every connection fills- like it opens up new connections to even cooler and cooler and cooler people. I would love, we do, you know, the community that we try and foster, we try and make sure it's also inclusive as much as we can. And, and that's one thing I, I wish we had more. Our community is a little, it's a little bit dick centric for lack of a better term. Um, You know, I would love, and it's a little bit cis dick centric. Um, I would love to have, more women hang out on the discord. I'd love to have more trans people hang out on the discord, more non-binary people, just, just, you know, cause those people like action movies too. And uh, a lot of times, you know, say what you will about action. It's a pretty regressive genre filled with a lot of regressive people. And uh, you know, we're not perfect. We've certainly, I've certainly stuck my foot in it uh, several times, but we do try and make a safe place for people who maybe don't have that outlet to talk about these movies that they love. So we'll keep trying. If we fuck up, always hold us accountable for it, but we'll keep trying. Yeah, that's the, that's the best thing to do is to just like, you know, learn, you know, that like, I don't think I've ever gotten the vibe from you guys that like, you don't put out an, an inclusive vibe. Like it's very much like if you see a lot of gatekeeping or like kind of barriers put up around like other aspects of film discourse, it very much feels like the opposite in that kind of little community that, that, that you guys like, are a part of and fostered and you know that's like gone from the podcast and now having your own discord place as well so you're literally having not only a place where you're providing informed discussion that is authoritative and friendly because you guys are experts in the field you now are also creating spaces for people to hang out and converse and like that's one thing that i really enjoy about this entire space in terms of what you would historically refer to as film twitter whereas it, it feels here like there is a, a down-to-earth expertise vibe that is also friendly and jokey and i think that is the best way to do this this sort of thing um in my view um which i think appreciate like, that yeah. that's that's what we're aiming for and, and we'll we'll keep place. at it we're not going anywhere so the, the the meanest anyone's been to me there is is liam telling me to grow up so uh, you know i can <laughs> well, i can well live yeah with that he's, he's you are like a child a- dan He's, he's like our designated, he's like our designated bully. I mean that, but, but you know, he, he's the bully that like, he shoves you in a locker, but then he like buys you a soda pop afterwards. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, he's not stealing my lunch money as well. So he's (laughs) like, just to use a very recent reference, I saw it for the first time, uh, yesterday or the day before yesterday, it was Friday. I watched Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. He's like the bully in that, like he's going to beat you up, but also look after you until you maybe get possessed by a demon and maybe kill him. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The comparison made sense at the beginning. <laughs> I got I got where you were going with it. I get you. By the way, that movie fucking owns and is really underrated in my view. I've, I've never seen any of the Elm Street sequels and I thought it was a great time. Um, and I just finished watching The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp for the first time today as well. So it's been a nice little kind of little movie weekend after Christine 4K yesterday. But yeah, um, Weston's, Mike, I need to ask you, um, because we're all... Everyone who's listening to the podcast has been keeping up with for the for the last year will know that Dan's a relative newcomer to the genre. Um, I wanted to know. I think we discussed this briefly on our ambulance episode, kind of like your, your dad movie origins and stuff. Um, remind me again: was were westerns like a, a fixture of that? Fixture esque, 
Clint Eastwood was a fixture of that. And so the Leone movies, uh, you know, Hang Em High, uh, The uh, Pale Rider, those kind of movies were absolutely fixtures. I, I grew up watching those because it was actually Dirty Harry that made me a Clint Eastwood fan. And then I went into his Westerns. And from there, it did kind of branch out because my dad, you know, being of the boomer generation, he grew up watching a lot of Westerns. And so we would, we would watch them. And then the other big Western that was like sort of foundational for me was at the time when I was nine or 10, a, a modern Western was uh Silverado, Lawrence Kasdan, Silverado. Yeah. 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 And so that, that was, so yes, they have been, they have been a fixture. They haven't been the fixture that martial arts movies have been for me. Those have always taken precedent over everything, but I love Westerns. I always have. I never had to, I was never one of those people that had to sort of have the, like Dan did the, the, the awakening <laughs> of how good Westerns are. I I've always known that. The you would enforce peer pressure rather than the awakening. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of the equivalent of uh, that episode of The Simpsons where they keep asking Homer to go to Mount Splashmore. <laughs> just, just you and repeatedly asking me to watch Westerns. But I feel like, Dan, you go, you go, to everyone. I feel like the the entry path that I charted for you has worked out pretty well, right? Like, I feel like starting you off oh, yeah, I'm on a... and then you can work forward and backward or left to right from there makes sense. I'm, I'm on a Westerns high. Like, I started with... I mean, we talked about a lot of the movies last time. Like, I started with the Leone trilogy because, and then that was a great place to start. And you and I both bonded very much over how much we both love for a few dollars more, especially Literally like, and then I went into some, <laughs> it's, it's great. And then I went to some Clint ones and then I was already a big Charles Bronson guy. So I watched a bunch of Charles Bronson Westerns and I, I, I admittedly haven't got to as many this year as I'd wanted. Cause I've just ended up getting like sidetracked by like, I went on a big like Donnie Yen marathon and then I was like watching other movies. And then I, I do, I've got this like weekly challenge that I've been doing this year that is like this, this book that my sister-in-law got me that I've, that I've kind of watched some great movies through. Uh, shout out to Sneakers, which is an absolute masterpiece that I watched two weeks I ago. Sneakers. Um, so good. Honestly, like, <laughs> absolutely Dan, great movie. Dan messaged me oh, the other so week good. being like, have you ever heard of this movie Sneakers? And I was like, I, got, I said, have you seen have, it? Have I, you and Patterson, seen the movie Sneakers? That is one that my parents fucking love. Like that is uh, it's uh, it's oh, incredible, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I I watched a few odd ones. I haven't really watched any modern ones. I wanted to get into a few modern ones, and I I'd, I'd started this Twitter thread for it, which I think I'm gonna just gonna car- kind of carry on until Twitter burns, which is <laughs> it could have happened by the end of this podcast. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll see. But um, I, I I've managed to watch a few since. Like I watched through all the Magnificent Seven movies recently, um, which the original ones you definitely get diminishing returns with i they're all okay they're all they're good to okay like the worst one i don't think is that bad but i really really i'd seen this one before in theaters in the cinema i gained this time around a, a huge appreciation for the remake the anton antoine fuqua remake with denzel washington like i do not remember the action in that movie being as good as it is that, that the movie is very very fun um, and I, I've I've gone to like a couple of different ones, and I have a, a very large watch, watch list of westerns from mainly from yourself that I still have to get through, and this 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 was one of them. Yeah. So the reason why I turned you on to the professionals, and I kind of wanted to steer it in this direction, is that like last year I went on a really big Lee Marvin kick, starting with um, the Big Heat, and then I ended up watching Point Blank, Big Red One. Um, 
and the professionals there was a couple of others in there before i basically came to the conclusion that lee marvin is like the coolest dude ever and i'm absolutely obsessed and fascinated with, with with him as a person and as an actor um and the professionals i remember like having it on my list for ages and it showed up on the uk netflix last year um and yeah i watched it and it it, it just kind of like it feels like it should have a better reputation than it should maybe do. And you brought up the Magnificent Seven there, Dan. Um, like those movies I enjoy, but I don't think any of them, and this is controversial, I don't think any of them are as good as The Professionals. I think The Professionals is like the the greatest man men on a mission Western to me. I think it's agreed. I think it's partially down to the fact that the Magnificent Seven is very much like, and you could make the same claim with the professionals. Like the Magnificent Seven feels very much like it's a star vehicle. Like you've got, you know, um, Steve McQueen there. So obviously you've got all the stuff that comes with his roles and like how he like catered his image and stuff. Um, but and also it has the Seven Samurai baggage too. Um, whereas the professionals, it's like okay, this is Richard Brooks. We've got Lee Marvin here. We've got uh, Robert Ryan, Woody Strode, Burt Lancaster. Um, Jack Palance, um, Claudia Cardinale, who you will remember from Once Upon a Time in the West as well. Um, a killer cast. And it's also, even though it starts off as a Men on a Mission movie, it ends up elegantly shedding that to tell a much more prescient and thematically rich story that kind of floors me each time. And like, you know, so many Westerns in the 60s kind of go into that like Vietnam allegory stuff. Some of them do it like really, really well. Um, the Professionals is probably my favorite of the bunch because I just love the way it tackles all of that. Um, great movie. <laughs> what I um, what I really love about a lot of these ones. So, like, what, one big thing for me, like, I've, I've been a, a huge movie fan for years. I've watched tons of movies all the time, but up until like when I was like twenty six, twenty seven, and like just before like two thousand, like two thousand nineteen, two thousand twenty. I would be the first to admit that I had seen embarrassingly little movies, embarrassingly few movies that had released before 1980. And I've spent like the past three years very much trying to like catch up and fix that and, and watch a more broad selection of things. So for me, like one of these things is that a lot of these actors that starred in these movies around the sixties and a lot of these Westerns, I haven't seen in that much stuff. So I like confession time. This is the first Burt Lancaster movie I've ever seen. Um, and I think it's only the second Lee Marvin movie I've ever seen. I sound like I don't have a fucking clue what I'm talking about here. And the other one, one is missing the in action. Oh, Delta Force. No, it's the Delta Force. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, sorry, three, I, I have seen Missing in Action. I, I, don't, think in in, action. I, don't, think I don't think he's in Missing in Action. No, no he's, he's not. It's Delta Force. Delta, it's Delta, 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 Delta. I've just got my Norris's confused. Please don't revoke my action card. Yeah, I mean, they're very, very similar. So, like... Anytime I watch these movies, I just get blown away by the idea of just watching it and being like, this is a movie that, and again, I don't, I, like, I don't want to go into like, oh, we don't make them like this anymore. But you just have a movie like this where you just watch like four of the most charismatic men who've ever lived, like lead this movie. Burt Lancaster is so good in this. Like I, Lee Marvin's kind of the standout to you, but in this, like he was, Burt Lancaster was such a standout to me. And I was like, I just had that immediate thing that I had with people like Bronson and Eastwood and, um, you know, various other actors from that time where I was just like, I want to watch so much more of this guy over these movies. Yeah. And I, this is the great thing about kind of playing catch up with a lot of these like 60s, 70s Westerns, especially and like movies in general is that I'm just constantly finding new actors that I'm just like, these people are so good. 
Yeah, I mean, it is immaculately cast, isn't it, Mike? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, is like, there is, you know, we, we've talked about this on, on Action for Everyone a bit, that there's, there, there's really no, uh, our, something is missing from our movie stars in a way that there wasn't in the 60s. You know, I love Chris Evans, but there's a gravitas to him that he's missing, unless he's playing Captain America. He, he brings that to Captain America, but... Any of his other roles, even the ones I love, he doesn't have the weight that somebody like Burt Lancaster has. Burt Lancaster speaks, and you cannot take your eyes off the screen. Lee Marvin is such a conventionally unattractive leading man. Uh, you know, even though he's not unattractive, he's he's but it's it's his presence that is what makes him attractive. He looks he looks like he should be playing th- like thug number three in a lot of movies. Uh, but but instead, he's leading the dirty dozen. He's leading the professionals. Um, you know, he steals fucking Delta Force. I mean, I, I love Delta Force with every fiber of my being, even though that movie is problematic as fuck now. Um, oh, but uh, but, uh, you know, he steals that movie. Um and so, yeah, there's something about just watching these guys, you know, and, and one of the ones that I want to shout out to, because he is a legend, but he's a legend that isn't that well known by a lot of people is Woody Strode. You know, Woody Strode was a legendary cowboy actor, one of the few black cowboy actors. And and he's so good in this. I love that he's he's basically like the ninja, right? You know, every man on a mission movie needs to have like the the ninja, the silent assassin. And that's basically what Woody Strode is in this. Like he's just going through, he is the Chuck Norris to Lee Marvin's Delta Force leader. He's the one that goes through and just takes everybody out. Um, you know, so yeah, this this but what I like most about this is a couple of things. One, I really liked around this time. I love a lot of Westerns from this time because you can start to feel the spaghetti Western influence creeping into Western, to, to U.S. Westerns. They start to get much grittier. They start to get much more complicated, much, much more gray uh, than like the 50s Westerns that you see. And also, every time I thought this was going somewhere, it went someplace different. Uh, you know, there are so many stock Western characters in this that in a dozen other movies, I could tell you exactly how this was going to play out. And they go in different directions. And that is no more present than, than in Burt Lancaster's character. Like, I thought for sure this is the... You know, I guess are we are we doing spoilers? Is it are spoilers? Yeah, okay? no, we will, we'll, yeah. I can I can well, I can either go into um the the quick synopsis here for people and then they can maybe like chuck it in, chuck out, and then yeah, can, let's do the synopsis yeah. and then I'll I'll circle cool. back to it. That yeah, works. yeah, awesome. So yeah, the movie came out in 1966, directed by Richard Brooks, uh, starring like we said before, Lee Marvin, Robert Ryan, Burt Lancaster, Woody Strode, Jack Lance, Claudia Cardinale, and it's set during the ending months slash years of the Mexican Revolution, which occurred between 1911 and I believe 1917 or 1918. Um, and uh, Marvin plays a former revolutionary um, who was a part of um, a character called Jesus Raza, who's played by Jack Palance. Uh, him and Burt Lancaster's characters, they were part of his evolutionary group back during the the, the beginning of, of, of that armed struggle. Um, and this comes to them years later, kind of really, you know, past their prime. Marvin's character is teaching, he's giving machine gun demonstrations to the US Army before they head out to 
Europe in the First World War. And Lancaster is just womanizing. He's he's out there with his long johns and the cold. He's not having well, he's having a great time, but you know, he's uh he's destined for loftier things. And they're recruited by this kind of uh rancher baron um called J.W. Grant, played by Ralph Bellamy, who is just one of those great old movie actors. I love it when he shows up in things. Um, because his wife, Maria, has been kidnapped by Raza, who again, um, Lee Marvin's character, Fardan, and Lancaster's character um, is uh, the Dulworth. They were with him during the revolution. Um, but because basically it's cold, cynical people now, and J.W. Grant is giving them lots of money to retrieve his wife, and they, you know, lured into the idea of, oh, maybe, you know, it's an unjust thing to, to kidnap a wife. I think we could all agree on that. And the mission they get given is to go into Mexico and retrieve her. They also recruit um, Robert Ryan's character of Hans Erengard, who is like a master ran- uh, rat- horse wrangler, and Woody Strode's Jake Sharp, who is this like amazing, you know, Apache trained scout and like bounty hunter. Um, and those are our four men, and they get given a mission to execute. And things without giving anything away. Just, you know, it's my own mission movie, but there is an interesting twist. And if you are still interested in watching it spoiler-free, this is your point where you want to click off, go back, watch it, and then come back and listen to Mike's about to be very enlightening comment on the movie. Well, it's just... So the the, the womanizing, cynical, black-hearted character is, is such a Western cliche. You know, to a certain... I mean... And and what happens to that character, you know, Dan, you mentioned the Magnificent Seven remake. Uh, Ethan Hawke's character is a perfect example of this. What happens to that character is they make a heroic sacrifice and they die heroically and redeem their honor. And this goes that way. Burt Lancaster, you know, is going to stay back and he's going to buy him time. And I'm like, OK. And then he doesn't fucking die. And and instead, he becomes the heart and soul of this team and, and the moral conscience and compass uh, to get them all to do what the right thing is. And that was something that I just thought was so brilliant and such a, a great way of twisting what we were expecting this movie to be um, that in it. In it feels like I did not expect this movie. It's a man on a mission movie. Everybody knows man on mission movies. Half the team, if not all of the team dies, they get wiped out and, and the men on the mission barely win or barely complete the mission. I left this feeling like I had just watched a rom-com. Like I just had warm fuzzies when I was done watching this movie. And that left me gobsmacked. I just, I did not, see that coming at all and i think that is what the idea that this men on a mission western is actually really a romance and a really optimistic hopeful movie i think that 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 makes it a a stone cold masterpiece in my mind that makes it a special movie in the western glad you agree because yeah the way they layer in the mystery in here it's done so expertly so brooks adapted this from um a book called uh, mule for the marquesa i believe it was called um and it what it does is obviously strode and brian's characters they are integral to the story here they are great but Lancaster and Marvin really take center stage because those are the two guys that fought in the revolution and have the personal connection with Raza and his revolutionaries and what i love 
that ultimate reveal where they it turns out they discover that they've been tricked and they've been duped and that she hasn't been kidnapped and that she willfully absconded with with Raza with Jack Palance. I mean, why wouldn't you? The dude was a fucking Adonis. Like <laughs> he looks great. Um, the bit where they discover that and it's already too late because the shooting started is one of the most brilliant reveals that we've ever gotten. And I love how it also comes after you've had the scene where Raza's men have hijacked the train and have executed the government men. Uh, and I like how it lays this in here because you see a war crime being committed on the screen and in any other movie, they would use that moment to basically be like, okay, this Raza, he's lost his way. You know, this isn't what the revolution was about. And it takes a moment after, you know, Robert Ryan's character, who is meant to be the moral compass to begin with, you know, he's there like, oh, we can't shoot horses, we can't do this or whatever. And he's, he's beginning to chastise Fardan and um, and uh, Lancaster's character for for having worked with this guy. But it's really a case of, you know, Lancaster takes the time to be like, well, no, this is the revolution. The guys that they've just executed massacred an entire village, one of whom included Marvin's ex-wife. And so there's already all these complicated emotions and feelings going into it. And then you have the bit where they infiltrate the compound. They've got this amazing plan set up with the dynamite arrows, which, yes, is a great precursor to what we get in Rambo. Um, And you've already had it where they've killed a few of these men. And they realize that, like the, the way that, you know, Raza walks in, you think that he is about to force himself on Claudia Cardelli's character. And then it turns into a loving embrace. And that, just that shared look between between Marvin and Lancaster there is so good, but they still have to commit to what they've done because everything is already in motion. And going back to that whole Vietnam allegory thing here, it's like, oh, you know... <laughs> Not to use a meme of like Mitchell and Webb or whatever, but it's like, are we the baddies? Like, it's very much a case of like, you know, these men have been sent on a crusade to go into a foreign country under certain pretenses. And those pretenses have turned out to be a complete lie. And they still got to, now they're stuck in the mud and sand and blood and they have to like get out of there. Um, And I love how that acts as a sort of commentary on like the United States historic role as like a revolution, you know, country born from revolution and the Mexican Revolution, and wanting to help liberate, which obviously historically isn't always the case, because imperialism in the United States goes back to the founding of the country. Um, but that whole idea of like, okay, let's apply Hold this on a idea. sec, hold on a sec, Brit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not going to take no <laughs> imperialism criticism from a Brit. No, I'm yeah, kidding. Mike I'm is just... his fill of Brits today. <laughs> look, look, all, I'm just kidding. We're all just really bad tea-munching imperialists. That's the, the, <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. the truth. No, no, absolutely true. I, I, I hope you know I'm absolutely yeah, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, no, like I, like I just like how that goes into it and it applies it to that kind of Vietnam context and you have that whole thing going in. And ultimately, like you say, Mike, it has an uplifting note because the idea is that like, you can't like you call like they're all there calling the revolution like a lost cause and stuff and like how they've all lost their way but ultimately they embrace the revolution at the end they do defy their capitalistic masters and and get to give them the fucking middle finger and and do the right thing but at the same time at great cost because you have that great bit with Burt Lancaster and his final stand which doesn't feel like a heroic final stand it feels like a torturous confrontation where he's killing all his friends for a goal that he doesn't believe in. And I love that about the movie. Like, I just think it's it's all brilliant. That that's simple, like, line earlier on in the film when they, like, are going to get... Mar- Is it Maria? The character's called yes. Maria? Maria, from, yeah. From Raz's compound, and they realise that she's there willingly. And Burt Lancaster's delivery of that simple line where he just says, amigo, we've been had, is so great. And I'm going to do... 
I mean, we've done, you you and I have done, I think I counted today, this is our, the 17th episode of this podcast that we've recorded together. Um, and usually, by now, anyone that listens to this knows that in these episodes we do, Ewan's role is to go deep into the historical and political side of things, whereas my role is to talk about the things I think were cool as shit. And this is going to be me slightly also calling out your co-host, Mike, Liam O'Donnell again. Um, yesterday, he tweeted about how he tweeted something along the lines of like, imagine being killed by an archer. And I'm here to officially yeah. state that <laughs> a bow and arrow is the coolest fucking weapon that has ever existed. <laughs> Any human being looks 50% cooler with one in their hands. And that's part of what I really love about Woody Strode's role in this. He is, like you said, he is fantastic in it. And his scenes where he is like up in the rocks and he's firing down at people he just cuts this this great presence because he doesn't really compared to a lot of the characters he doesn't i mean he has you know plenty of dialogue and stuff but he he doesn't have as much to say as some of the other characters like bert lancaster is very much the kind of the, the 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 talker for want of a better word in you know among the cast and i i think that's where he is a little underrated on his side of things because he he doesn't sort of have that kind of uh, I don't want to say lively energy because that makes it sound like he's phoning his way through things which is not the case at all as, I, as I've just said but it's more stoic, just that kind of it? figure that he cuts in those scenes is yeah yeah exactly it's 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 really great so Liam if you're listening I don't know if you listen to this episode a bow and arrow is cool and you're wrong don't be mean to me <laughs> I, I don't think Liam. I don't think Liam was insulting the bow and arrow. I think he I was know. just saying if you're if you're a warrior, you know, and you're charging into battle with a sword, and you get taken out by a bow and arrow, that's like extra insulting. And it's also true because okay. like, if you were a trained knight back <laughs> in the day, it would be the peasantry that had been given the bow and arrow, or whatever. So you'd literally like trained in combat for so long to be notched by a bit of arrow that's been smothered in dirt yeah, to like, infect you. But you. <laughs> You literally just got killed by a stick flying it's, through the air. It's true. Like I get well, it. <laughs> I think I think I'd also, if I was hit by that arrow, I'd be thinking like, whoever just shot that arrow is, is feeling pretty damn cool right now. <laughs> I'm just glad that I got a cool death. <laughs> I didn't get a cool death, but he got a cool kill. So it's you know someone's winning. Yeah, it. yeah. And I do. I love that whole the whole scheme of how they get into the compound. Obviously, you have the great confrontations that they have where they've been tracking Razar's men and like. You know, that great shootout with the shotguns at the beginning, which is just fucking great, where it's like, oh, he holds his hat to there and he brings it across, let fly or whatever. Um, but the whole, like, compound scheme, and he's just like, to Woody Strode, I need you to sound like a fucking entire Mexican army. I need you to, like, make these dynamite arrows be like a, a French 72 or 75-pound gun or whatever. Um, and you have that great bit as well, where it's like Lancaster, who's obviously like, the demolitions expert, he's there with, like, the sweating dynamite. And I'm like, I'm nowhere near in proximity to the scene or whatever, but I'm just like, I've got like PTSD from Sorcerer. I'm just on the edge of my seat. Just like, please, please, that that dynamite serious business, please don't blow up. <laughs> That's um, Lancaster with the dynamite is is uh, my favorite bit of dialogue in, in the movie. Not not when he's talking about the sweat and dynamite, but when um, they ask him how good he, how he got to be so good with explosives. And that little mm. bit of dialogue he gets where he's just like, when I was growing up, I liked to create. I can't write. I can't draw. So something along those lines. So basically, I, I blow shit up. I, I create explosions. Is is kind of what he's saying. And I, I I love that that character just immediately like it it shows how much he knows who he is, and he's developed that over years. And he's gone. 
look, I don't have the typical talents that people have of, of like you say, writing, drawing, singing, you know, music, all this. But I'm I'm good at blowing stuff up, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna run with it. Yeah, totally. It's a great like I everyone's defined role is really good here. But like and. Robert Ryan, you could probably argue, is given short thrift because he doesn't really have much to do apart from be horse guy. But I do like, like I think they all like, you know, serve a valuable purpose. And again, it's nice to see Robert Ryan in a role that isn't evil because he kind of made a name for himself just playing evil dudes. Um, like in uh, Bad Day at Black Rock, like he's really good with that. And Lee Marvin's in that too. Um, this really feels like Robert Ryan's like setup, like his test run for the character that he plays in the wild bunch. Mm. Right. Because that character is also not evil. He's been hired to track down his old partners, but he's not evil and he really hates what he's doing. And this kind of feels like it's a, it's a test run for that. There's a lot of the same vibes going on in it. Yeah, totally. And again, like, it's interesting that you bring up the wild bunch here because like, it feels almost like, obviously it's nowhere near as violently revolutionary as Peckinpah um that movie was for him um but it does feel like it's like you say it's got that spaghetti influence kind of coming into it and it is a little bit more violent than maybe the traditional flavor and again with like lee marvin people always laugh at him for taking paint your wagon over wild bunch or whatever and i'm like paint your wagon is a good movie but by the by it doesn't matter because he did the professionals anyway and i feel like this movie is as compelling to me as the wild bunch and like i think the reason why it isn't talked about as much is like, again, you know, you have those Magnificent Seven comparisons and Magnificent Seven has been codified into popular culture. as like the greatest male on a mission ensemble like movie ever. Um, and then The Wild Bunch is like the violent thing that like kind of changed the face of cinema along with Bonnie and Clyde. And I'm like, this deserves to be put on a pedestal as well. And like it was nominated and recognized at the time and it was a successful movie. But um, yeah, like I just it, it seems to have kind of been neglected a lot in the years since which i find frustrating because it has such a compelling like lee marvin has his own following you know burt lancaster has his own following is it literally just a case that steve mcqueen is like more more iconic and that's carried the magnificent seven forward a bit more (laughs) yeah i think and i think it's a weird you know it falls in sort of a weird gap because it you know the magnificent seven's kind of the last of the traditional uh, American Westerns. And then you've got Leone coming in in 64, leading up to, to Wild Bunch in 69. And so you, you've got this falling in 66. I think it just kind of falls into a gap a little bit in terms of how people historically talk about these movies, um, which I think is a damn shame. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it's absolutely a shame because I agree with you, you, and I think this stands as tall as those other movies this this is an absolutely incredible piece of filmmaking yeah and i need i actually have my my obligatory like cool moment to match dan um i can't think of many westerns where you get to see a dude like hold a lewis gun and fire it from a train like you see lee marvin do here which is so cool and there's that bit where he's got it propped on his shoulder and just takes out his like pistol and gets the other guy and he's got the other i just i I love that. I just, I think that's really one cool. of the best shots of the movie. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I also kind of want to shout out the, the, the lady who plays Chiquita, who is like Raz's right hand girl. Um, she's great. I love how, how much fun she's having with that. And especially in the confrontation with Lancaster, she fully matches Palance and Lancaster in that scene in terms of like, the banter is back and forth and like, oh, she's like, oh yeah, no, we had some great times together, didn't we? Meanwhile, she's like lighting the bushes to 
you know drive him out and it's like oh he won't shoot a woman or whatever and then like they have their i think i think she's really good she's um played by maria gomez who didn't really have that many acting credits in terms of like western roles or american roles i should say um but i think what i she's great what i really like with her role is that when you first see her they kind of set it up a little bit that it's going to be like just like oh she's she's the sex appeal of the movie the first time you see her, they're looking at her from behind. She's she hasn't got a top on, and they're they're basically just talking about how how beautiful she is in a passion And that character just proves herself more and more in over the course of the movie. And when Mike was talking before about how it kind of sets up what a lot of these kind of man, men on a mission movies do, where it sets up this idea that that Lancaster is going to have this kind of moment where. He he almost redeems himself and and becomes the kind of moral compass of the movie, and then dies at the end, and he doesn't get that. She kind of gets that death instead, so she kind of gets a, a sort of that sort of focus or that kind of death scene that you'd think he would get. And and it, it's it's one of the things I find like surprising with some of these movies because I think it's a time when a lot of movies didn't really treat their female characters with as much agency as they get now or as much of a development as they get now. But every so often you just do come across one that, that is, that is surprisingly timely in its use of those characters. And I, I really like the way this one treats that specific female character in it. Yeah. And I think Maria as well, like, so not to cut in my, but yeah, Maria as well, like she, she feels as well-rounded and she really is the moral compass here. And like, there's never a point where, you know, it feels like what they're doing with that character is exploitative. And again, it's like she she's she's there to, you know, reassert her own agency, like as a woman, and also reiterate the the cause and her belief in the revolution, the idea of revolution, which these mercenaries have basically abandoned and have like fully committed themselves to. And from that point where you have it where they kidnap her, you're a willing Raza's men to catch up with them and to have some conversation, but it's like they're resigned to just that fate of destruction. It's like, oh, what else can we do now? We might as well get paid. And then obviously, like you say, like, it takes Lancaster's thing to change that around. And it's interesting because Fardan seems to be the one that has the moral compass at the beginning. He's like, oh, you want to go hunting for gold when this guy's like had his wife kidnapped? And then it takes Lancaster again to have that that crisis of conscience to then be like, uh, you know, old buddy, old pal, let's let's change things around a bit. Well, I, I think that's what's interesting about the one thing I was going to say is is Chiquita and uh, and Dolworth, their final scene together when she dies is just fucking heartbreaking. I mean, it's just devastating, which is which is why the ending works as well as it does, because you do buy Lancaster having this change of heart. You do buy this romantic that used to believe in revolution being reawakened you know um but i also think that's what makes marvin's character so interesting is he does have a moral compass it's just pointing in the wrong direction for a lot of the movie his moral compass is we agreed to do a job we are men of our word we may not have much but we have our word and so we are going to see this job through and that's literally i feel like what he's holding on to like that's the last bit of humanity he has if i don't have my word i don't have anything i i am i am nothing and it does it takes lancaster saying you know the word of giving your word to someone like grant isn't really your word 
right? Like that's not a word that should be given. And that's where my favorite scene isn't even an action scene. It's it's Marvin's last yes, line. Yes, I was hoping you were going to bring that Grant up. Grant calls him a bastard and Marvin says, yes, sir, in my case, an accident of birth, but you, sir, are a self-made man. And it's like, that's everything <laughs> right there. That's the movie right there. It's a great it's line. Like, we, may, we may not be good people. We may have done horrible things, but- we didn't do it because we chose to. We do it because we believe in something, you know? And and I, yeah, I just, it, it's such a perfect way to end this arc that all these characters have gone on in this movie. Yeah, totally. The only way they could have made that better would be if they like shotgunned them all, like they did those, like the first guys laying couch at the beginning, because there's no better sight than seeing a dude like tw- trench sweep with the trench sweeper. Um, but yeah, that's such a that's such a good close. I'm just trying to think of like better just fu one liners in movies, and I don't think any get better than that. Like it just works on every single level for me as like a you know like a a moral fuck you to the guy that's like exploited them and just treated them as weapons and stuff. Because at the beginning you think, oh Grant, this is a guy who's gonna defer to the professionals and again i bring this up in every fucking podcast now the idea of like i'm just really into movie characters who are good at their jobs i think there's like a specific term for this i keep on forgetting it um competence porn competence porn that's it i fuck there is i'm a slut for competence porn samuel yes it's the best rico fadan agent k i mean most of these guys are totally jones but you get my meaning like people who are good at their jobs i just very much enjoy that and i love them being like some guy who doesn't know what he's talking about trying to like either instruct them incorrectly or try and imply that they are nothing more than a tool to be used and they turn around and go, nah, fuck you. I, I, I love it's always, that It's always funny because I think some people don't kind of have that same feeling towards those kind of movies and I'm the same. I, I love that genre of movie where I just love watching, in an action movie especially, I love watching people be good at what they do. Recently I went to see uh, a movie I believe, Mike, you just watched yesterday. Um, the Equalizer three, uh, yeah, I just watched it last night. Yeah, which was a movie I I liked I liked uh, you know quite a bit. It's, it was probably my least favorite of the trilogy, but it was like having the least tasty bite of a delicious meal to me. And I went to see it with my friend Barney, and um, I don't know if Barney will listen to this, but uh, he's kind of the guy. Like if I go and see action movies at the cinema, he's the guy I take, um, and he's the guy I'm very much trying to get into certain genres of movies. I've been trying to get him to watch some Indian movies for months. Um, and he wasn't really a fan of The Equalizer 3, and I, I quite liked it. And he said one of his big reasons was that he felt like there was no real opposition to Denzel Washington. He felt like he was just too easily getting through everything. And I was like, that's the thing I loved about it. The thing I loved about that movie was watching it play out almost like this, even more so than the first two movies, play out like this slasher movie where, I won't go into spoilers because I know you've not seen it, Ewan, but it's just Denzel Washington effortlessly taking down bad guys, even more so than the first movies. And that is so, so entertaining to me. And I know the opposite works when you watch, you know, your John Wick, where John Wick does kill hundreds of guys, but also in each movie gets the shit beaten out of him. The end of John Wick chapter four being, you know, especially an example of that, but it's just, sometimes it's just great to, to just watch someone have no trouble at all. I also don't want to, you know, if your friend Barney is listening to this, please Barney, take this in the best possible light. (laughs) I think you're looking for the conflict in the wrong place. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. The conflict in a movie like the equalizer isn't, Denzel 
killing a bunch of guys. That's a foregone conclusion once he starts. The conflict is, what does it take for him to start? Because he is trying to keep the bottle corked, right? In all three Equalizer movies, he is trying John Wick in the first John Wick. It's the same thing. The conflict isn't in the actual physical fighting. It's in the moral and emotional component of, I am a man of violence who does not want to be driven to violence anymore, but you are all making it real fucking hard right now. He knows (laughs) how much of a monster he can be. Yeah, I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd, and you're fucking <laughs> yeah. you're fucking it up. So, um, anyway, you and that's all no, I. No, no, that's, that's good. That's a say. good detail. All I was going to say, though, I, Dan, is that I think both of those things are competency porn because John Wick is objectively good at his job, and you can still see competent people fail. I just like to know that they're good in their job. Like, whereas, like, like even here, like I know that Robert Ryan's character is a fucking damn good horse wrangler because he's been wrangling them horses for years. You hear. Um, but he still takes a bullet and he still gets captured, but he's still really competent in his job. You know, he might be the most naive of the group in a way, but at the same time, I'm like, no, I, he's got his expertise. That's good. <laughs> I will also back Barney up that he usually has decent takes. This was just one that I was like, I, I don't agree with this one. <laughs> well, and there's certainly movies like that. Like, like in his early days, before we knew he was an absolute monster, you know, Steven Seagal never got touched in his movies and watching him work his way through a submarine in Under Siege is an absolute delight. It's amazing, you know, but then you get to his later movies where he's lazy. He's not interested in working. The movies aren't good and he's still not getting touched. Then it is just boring because there is no interiority. There is no if you're not going to have physical contact conflict, you have to have emotional conflict and Steven Seagal movies have none of them. And I think the movies that people complain about are ones where they don't replace the physical conflict with something else. And that's a valid criticism. Um, But I do, I agree. There's room for Donnie Yen and Bruce Willis, right? We can have both action heroes. We can have the action hero that gets his ass kicked and we can have the action hero that just sits there and poses and looks amazing. They're both equally great. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Like, yeah, we've spoken a lot about like on, um, on that kind of idea of like people like talk about Die Hard as being the thing that introduced us to the flawed everyman action hero and like being like the first big subversive action movie when McTiernan did the same thing with Predator and it was basically about getting all these immaculately sculpted dudes and then offing them off one by one it takes you know it takes different forms and stuff and I think like when people are like oh, I'm sick of seeing like you know impervious characters like it's like a case of like well you know imperviousness is you know things take different forms and there's like different ways of articulating that in a movie like you say and like with here like it's a case of you know, you have these guys who are all fucking great, um, but they're still, they're still, even though you know ultimately that I feel like a lot of that, I feel like I, watching this, you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to see Burt Lancaster die here, maybe, I don't know. Um, you still feel like, oh, they could they could get hurt. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's there's that dynamic to it, um, which I really enjoy. And again, it's, it's nice to hear, because you said that you might have mistakenly thought that you'd already seen this mic. So like, this might be a first watch as well. Like, I mean, I'm counting it as a first yeah. watch. Cause I, I think what maybe I, I was doing is I think I might be confusing it with, um, 40 guns, oh. uh, which is another great movie, but, uh, yeah. Cause I, I 
I was watching this and it felt like the first time. So might as well be the first time. Yeah. But it's, it's nice hearing you guys experience it for the first time. Because when I watched it for the first time last year, I was like, oh my God. Like, I just thought I was going to watch a bunch of dudes go rescue this person. And now it's turned into this really deep, introspective look at like, you know, the motion, the politics of like war and revolution and, and, and all that stuff, which again, like, I feel like it's interesting for actors. I and mean, you talk about star power before and like how people don't have presences and stuff. Lee Marvin is such a fascinating screen presence for me because I feel like out of that generation of Hollywood actors who went to war, he he really wears that on his sleeve and not in like a kind of like a, I went to war, you know? Like it was very much a case of like, he saw a lot of shit in the Pacific. You know, he was like a scout sniper. He got wounded in action and literally like all of his unit were wiped out. Um, there's a really awkward clip that I saw on like, I forget which talk show it was, but he was there. He got asked about like, oh, where did you get wounded? And he's like, I got shot in my ass. And the entire audience laughs. It's like, he's there clearly uncomfortable that everyone was just laughed at the fact that he's been shot in his ass. But obviously, you know, like a bit of humor too. But I really like Marvin because as a presence and a biographical figure and stuff, like in this and in movies like Point Blank, it can almost feel him bringing that experience from the war into not only how he handles weaponry, which is obviously like a thing that he has, because, you know, he literally consulted on war movies that he starred in, um, but also just the way he carries himself and the thematic stuff of like, what does it mean, mean to be sent into a war and to have a cause to fight in and, and all that stuff. And yeah, I've, just, I've grown really fascinated with him like over the last year. I just think he's a really interesting figure. Yeah, the other actor that's like that that I always try and tell people about is um, if you watch Jimmy Stewart's movies before he went to war and after he came back, he he's a changed actor. He's a changed man. I mean, have you seen a Five K Back, the documentary on Netflix? Yeah, yeah great. I yeah, I'm love telling that. people to watch that, and no one is watching it. I'm like, it's one of the best documentaries I've seen. Yeah, it's incredible. It's an, and I've actually seen all those. I have a box set of of all the the propaganda reels that 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 all those guys shot when they were over there yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, dan get on that if you haven't already it's really really good i i feel like you brought it up when we did our westerns episode yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) it's it's been one that's been in my mind that like yeah i get quite bad at catching up on five filmmakers so it's uh it's it's john ford um capra um john houston as well um yeah, I think I think, and then uh, I think it's William Wyler. Yes, William Wyler. The other yeah, one, yeah. One? Yeah. yeah, it's really good. You should I, definitely check. I it should out. say, in uh, I, the next step in my Western journey, let's call it, is going to be John Ford. Good, a yeah. I mean, I, who I, I am I, quite I unfamiliar with, and I'm excited to get to. I would have started you off on him, Dan, but I kind of think like having that. It's one of those things with westerns. I feel like sometimes you have to go forward before you go back. Because you can appreciate the idiosyncrasies of the genre more in that way. Like, I feel like if you start very much at the beginning, I always get worried that I'm going to put people off it. Um, but, you know, Leone's filmmaking, it's such like a hyper-stylized version of American mythology and mythmaking. If you then go back to someone like Ford and see the course that he charts over his career, like you look at something like Wagon Master and then contrast that with like The Searchers, it's such an incredible, like, contrast um in terms of how he is interrogating the idea of like the american old west myth um which i'm very much looking forward to you like checking out because he's an incredible filmmaker um but yeah yeah dan if you if you can 
try and set enough time to do a double feature of Stagecoach and The Searchers back to back. They were the first two John Ford movies you had recommended to me. (laughs) Because you will not believe they are from the same director. There is so much change. You know, you've literally got one movie trying to create, essentially creating the modern American Western myth and the modern, you know, the American myth of John Wayne and a movie destroying it all and burning it all to the ground. And it's from the same filmmaker. It's it's an absolute gut punch of a double feature. I, I, I will officially state now that I will make that my next two. Yeah, Fort Apache is also kind of in that similar searcher's bracket in terms of its attitude to, you know, Native Americans and that kind of aspect. And then obviously our dated aspects to the movies, like Scar and um in, in the searchers is literally played by like a white actor, but like it's um overall like the sensitive attitude towards it and looking about looking back at how an entire like race of peoples was displaced and and, and systematically persecuted and killed and, and and destroyed like the way ford goes into that it's um yeah it's it's kind of heartbreaking and it's also great because if you go and look at the um the the five came back documentary you'll see how ford's relationship with john wayne transformed in between you know ford and everyone else going off to war and wayne not um, it's a really fascinating period in film history, and I, I, yeah, I can I can read and talk about like the behind the scenes nature of it, like so much, and also just enjoy what ended up on screen. Um, and yeah, no, you got a lot of stuff to check out, which I'm really excited for. <clears throat> I have a lot, and I think this is part of like what you you guys were saying about the the kind of what a lot of people will refer to as the kind of death of the movie star is that you hear these stories about these people and these real lives that they've lived, and now I think the actors that we get now, a lot of them we know too much about. And we, we because we're seeing them on social media all the time, we're seeing them on TikTok and Instagram and, and Facebook and all this. And, and you kind of learn a lot more about them that you don't want to know as well. And I think there's this, you just don't get these like fascinating behind the scenes stories that you used to get from, from so many of those people. And it was part of that is like you guys say, it was such a kind of turbulent time in the world and, a lot of these actors went to war. They fought for their countries. They brought that back. They were different people. And that kind of really fed into their performances. Yeah, totally. Um, and again, like I think, uh, yeah, Marvin, Lancaster, Ryan, and Woody Strode, all of them served in one way or another in World War II. Like again, Marvin in the Pacific, I believe Strode was in the US Army Air Corps. Um, I think Bert Lancaster did like entertainment stuff overseas and, I'm fairly certain Robert Ryan was, um, I don't think it was, I think it might have potentially been the Navy that he was in. Um, am I getting that wrong? Um, I'm just going to double check here because I really want to make sure that I get that right. Uh, he, he, was the, he was a Marine Corps drill instructor, so I was almost right. Um, but yeah, like how that... Yeah, yeah. so he's the real deal if he's a Marine yeah. drill instructor. Like yeah. he's fucking Arlie Ermy from Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's... Yeah. Yeah. So again, like, and I feel like that you see, it's just the way that they carry themselves and stuff. And it ends an extra level of like melancholy to the war pictures and like the violence of this times compared to the war movies you get over the last 20 years where most of the roles are performed by people who haven't like, you know been involved in that stuff and kind of know like the horroring nature of it all i don't know like i feel like there's something so weighty about something even if it isn't explicitly like this is a war movie the professionals is interrogating war as a concept and the idea of using these actors who have actually known the prior 
price and cost and everything of it. Like there is something so much more weighty to that. And even in those movies that aren't war movies in the traditional sense, but do interrogate and reckon with the cost of war, like something like a matter of life and death, um, you know, again, like, yeah, just a fascinating, amazing period in, in, in filmmaking and like the, uh, what those experiences did to, you know, and add more to these films. That's actually to shout out a new movie. That's one of the reasons I flipped shit for Guy Ritchie's The Covenant this mm-hmm. year, because that movie feels like it could have been made in 1965 in terms of how it grapples with those things. And yes, even though Hall hasn't gone to war, he he carries Hall's one of our few actors that I oh, think oh, can yeah. carry that gravitas. Yeah, absolutely. You know? um, so, yeah. It's um it's if regardless of what you think of Guy Ritchie, I think it's it's terrific. And you and you know after our ambulance episode how big of a fan I yeah. am of Jill and oh, all. Yeah. And this is such a completely this is 180 from what he's doing in ambulance, and it is just as riveting and just as as moving and fascinating to he's watch. He's such a versatile and, and, actor uh, and yeah. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> I was just gonna say uh the the performance that that the uh I believe his name is Dar Darceline. Uh, gives in that movie is one of my probably top five performances of the year. He is toe to toe with Jill and Holland. He is fantastic in that movie. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to wrap it up soon, guys, because I'm really, really poorly at the minute. Um, but yeah, I'll just I'll ask you guys for like your closing thoughts on the professionals. I don't know if you wanted to start off, Dan, and then we'll go to you, Mike. I mean, I think it's 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 simple. It's it's fantastic. It's um like I say, I, I it, it really is is proof of how the movies of those times just had some of the most charismatic, greatest actors bring in such gravitas to their performances. It's a template for so many movies to come, but it still manages to be subversive, like Mike said. And it's it's funny because this this has felt like like a different kind of episode for me where I feel like I've not had as much to say as I might normally do, but I've kind of loved listening to all the information that you guys have thrown out at me. Um, so it's been a really fascinating episode for me in that regard. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's excellent. It's, it's one of my favorite Westerns I've watched so far. Um, the action's great. The score is great. The the performances are fantastic. And I would very much urge anyone who is new to Westerns or loves them and hasn't seen them to to give this one a go. Yeah, it's on Netflix UK. And Dan, if you're looking for another Burt Lancaster recommendation after this, check out The Train um, by John Frankenheimer. I'm going to check out The Train. Don't yeah, you worry. He's, he, that's probably my favorite Lancaster performance. He's wonderful in that. Um, mine's uh, mine's Seven Days in May, mm. also a great movie. So check that one out as well. Um, yeah, Dan, sorry. I, I have a tendency to not shut up on podcasts. So I apologize. I, I didn't. Oh, no, I, no. I hope was, you don't feel I like I. Okay. Okay, good. I, I just wanted to make sure. Um, I just echo everything Dan said. I, I can't really add anything to it other than to say uh, it is actually, if you're in the U.S., I don't know if it's on Netflix, but it's also streaming on YouTube free um, and, and like legitimately on YouTube, not some ripped copy that somebody uploaded. It's it's <laughs> one of their movies that they have on there. So but yeah, I think this is terrific. If you haven't seen it, if you have even an inkling that you might like Westerns, this is one that you need to add to your list. It is going in my like regular Western rotation um, because I just this was this had everything I want out of a Western. I couldn't have asked for anything more with it. That's so good. I'm so glad that I got to recommend something and everyone loved it. It's great. And everything's good in the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm going to give you credit here because a lot of these episodes that we've done have been movies that both of us have bonded over and loved and done together or movies that you have introduced me to. And you are very good at knowing movies 
things that I will like. You have got, I think, like a 95% hit rate at this point, possibly even higher. Um, <laughs> there is very much a next step that I've got some movies that I want to get you to watch mm-hmm. this podcast, a few of which I have told you. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike, I've been trying to get this guy to watch Jack Reacher for months. It'll happen. Oh, you It'll happen. Come on. <laughs> I'm just in an old movies phase at the that movie's moment. That movie's got that. Yeah, but that movie's got such like a 70s vibe to it that I think yeah. you will really like. I'll, I will check out. I mean, I was going, it was so weird. Like things got away from me this year. Like for the summer, like I wanted to do like, I wanted to do Independence Day and I was going to ask Liam to be on that. And then I was like, oh wait, it's literally the week of July 4th now. He's not going to have time to do that. And then I wanted to do some Tom Cruise stuff for um, Mission Impossible. Possible. and i just got that all completely rankled around as well so that's my bad that's poor scheduling on my behalf <laughs> um yeah it, here's 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 how to tease you with uh jack reacher so you we just talked about how much we love marvin's last line in this movie that's basically everything jack says throughout yeah. the entire movie <laughs> like every word that comes out of his mouth is some variation of I'm going to fuck you up and it's it's amazing. I it's it's actually a really really great Tom Cruise performance because it's unlike almost Absolutely. any other performance. The, I want us to record that episode because I have a lot of people to get mad at who just go oh but he's too short for the role and, and I that is one of his best performances and I love that movie so much. Dan it is my solemn vow to you that in the month of November we'll do an episode on Jack Reacher if if you'll talk to me about the firm, <laughs> oh, we'll do that. I've never seen the firm as well. That's a cruise oh, movie yeah. I haven't seen, so cool. I'm, right, I'm very well, up for that. That's all sorted there. But yeah, this has been our look back at the professionals of my favorite movies. Uh, long live Lee Marvin, coolest dude ever. Burt Lancaster, also great. Woody Strogo, but Ryan and the god himself, Jack Palance. I mean, how can you? I mean, you should call him the new god himself because he was literally the inspiration for Dark Side. But yeah, watch the professionals if you haven't already. Is an absolutely fantastic movie. Um. Before we go, um, Mike, do you want to remind everyone where they can find you and action for everyone? Yep. Yep. Easiest place to find us is uh, just go to linktree slash A4E podcast. If you want to join our discord, uh, you can either reach out to me on Twitter uh, at Hibachi Justice or at A4E podcast. DM me. It's an open it's an open discord, but the invitations expire because we just don't want to leave invitations out there forever. So reach out to me and I'll send you one. If you don't have Twitter and you're listening to this, you can email me at A4E pod at gmail.com and I'll hook you up with an invite as well um we have a lot of fun there so that's the best place to find us if you actually want to talk to us cool and uh dan where can everyone find you um also on twitter uh, at dan greenman 92 still pretty active on there but not as active as i was i'm mainly just tweeting about uh horror movies at the moment because i'm cliche and it's october um but you'll hear me talk about a lot of other movies i just this week i won't go into it but i watched the movie um, they shoot horses, don't they? And that movie fucking broke me. Robert <laughs> Ryan's character would have hated that. I've ever watched, and it is also a masterpiece. Yeah, it's uh, it's an incredible movie, though. Um, but yeah, the the main other place I am apart from there is I'm on Letterboxd at Dan Grima, and I'm also active in the in the A4E Discord, which you and I again another thing I've been telling you we gotta we gotta get you yeah, into. Yeah, I need to get on the Discord. I use Discord for my anonymous gaming things though. So if I do that, I cross the streams, and everyone's gonna know my Hell Let Loose Just, record. I, no, I have I have two Discords. Uh, I have I have I have one. It's really easy to switch back and forth, just like it is on Twitter. So you know, just set up a second Discord and and come and join cool. us. I will do that. Yeah, before. 
before we go, uh, I want to give a quick shout out to our patrons. Thank you to Christopher Darby, George Jackson, Thomas Mulgrew, Shaka, and Josh Brown. Remember, if you want to go and support the podcast, you can do so. We are Wheel of Dad Movies over at Patreon. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Wheel of Dad Movies and me at Ewan Ruins Things. That's all for now, though. Thank you again to Mike and Dan for joining me for this little look back at the professionals. It's been one of my favorite episodes of the year. So, yeah, this is really pleasant. Sometimes good podcasting times at the El Royale. Um, and yeah, thank you all for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye.